Advent. In John chapter number 16, I'd like for you to look with me at verse number 7. Christ speaking to His disciples uh, just a few hours before He'll go to the cross of Calvary and pay your sin debt and my sin debt, speaks to them and says this. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye seen me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time. Lord, I covet Your presence and power. Lord, I thank You for the perpetual indwelling of the Holy Ghost. But Lord, I would ask that in a powerful and mighty way, You would make real the words of God to the hearts of Your children. God, I pray that You would in each heart do that which is most needful. Lord, I don't know what each need is, but I know You do. So, Father, I'd ask that Your Holy Spirit would do the work that's so desperately needed in our lives. God, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary and the truth that uh, only by the Son of God can they be saved. Lord, I pray that You would uplift those that are downcast and, Lord, abase those that are haughty. And, God, that You'd do it all in such a way that bring You glory and honor. We love You tonight, Lord. Because of the cross of Calvary, we love You. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I've read from a very familiar passage uh, just a moment ago. Many of you are quite familiar with this portion of Scripture. And it's probably the most exhaustive explanation about the person of the Holy Ghost that our Lord ever gave. We have the truth of the person of the Holy Ghost spoken of in several uh, places in the Gospels, but here our Lord begins to reveal to us the very nature and person of the Comforter that is to come. And just by way of introduction, I want us to notice a few things. And if you're writing down a title, I'd like to preach in a few moments on the topic, Sins Against the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you tonight that there's certain things that we do that offend the Holy Ghost? There's certain things that we do, and though they are sin and they offend the triune Godhead, they also particularly offend the Holy Spirit. Do you know that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit? If you've been washed in the blood of Christ and born again by the Spirit of God, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Ghost of God, the Holy Spirit of God, lives within us and functions in us uh, to the glory of God. But I want us to notice a few things that I believe have been lost in our understanding of the Holy Spirit today. I believe the charismatic movement has done much damage to the perception of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the emergent church movement of today has done much to mystify and mysticize the person of the Holy Spirit. 
But notice just three things very carefully and very quickly. I've uh, made notice in my notes of how many times the word he is used referring to the Holy Ghost. And in fact, you'll find that ten times just in these few verses, the Bible never once refers to the Holy Ghost as an it, but refers ten times to the Holy Ghost as a he. I think it's important to note first off that the Holy Ghost is a person and not a force and not a drawing force and not just a power and not just an essence, but the Holy Ghost of God is a person of the Godhead. Now you say, preacher, that's simple, that's elementary, I I know that. Yeah, maybe you know it, but you'd be amazed how many in this world today don't know it. And you'd be amazed how many in the world today have resorted the Holy Ghost of God to nothing more than an animal influence that takes over in the spirit of a human being. But the Bible is very clear that the Holy Ghost is a person. Just as God the Father is a person, or we might say personality. I'm not here to uh, try to draw out all the particulars of the Trinity to you tonight. We'd be here all night and not even be done. But however you'd like to describe it, just as Christ is a person, and just as the uh, Father is a person, the Holy Ghost is a person of the Trinity. The Bible's very clear that He has a personality. He has awareness or consciousness. He has a will, though his will is in perfect harmony with God the Father and God the Son. He has a purpose in the life of the believer. What I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is when we seek for the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not just seeking for some kind of drawing force, but we're seeking for a person to be manifest in our lives. We see that he's personal. I want you to notice, secondly, that he's precious. Listen to what Christ says about him. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, I'm not going to go through all the theological hoops of it. But suffice it to say that the the sacrificial death of Christ on Calvary purchased for us the Holy Spirit indwelling us in our everyday lives. The Bible tells us that He's the earnest of our redemption. Now, most of us youngins, we're not familiar with what earnest money is. But most of you old-timers know what earnest money is. We call it a down payment today. And it's proof that there's more in the reserve. It's proof that there's more to come. And the Bible says of the Holy Spirit of God that He's the earnest of our redemption. In other words, the Bible teaches when Christ died on the cross, when that precious blood was shed, it purchased for us the Holy Ghost. John chapter number 7 teaches us this truth when it tells us that the Holy Ghost was not yet come because Jesus was not yet crucified. And He tells His disciples that I know you don't want to let me go. I know you don't want me to go away. But if I do not go away, then the Comforter cannot come unto you. Can I say that for the Holy Spirit of God to indwell the believer, it took the death of Christ on the cross. Now you say, preacher, you're just, you're just throwing facts at us. What does this all mean? It's going to change the way you treat the Holy Ghost when you think about how much it took for Him to indwell you. It's going to change the way that you treat the Holy Ghost when you think about the fact that heaven had to be bankrupted for you to have Him. It's going to change the way that you treat the Holy Ghost when you think about the fact that the very precious and immaculate Son of God had to die 
for you to have the Holy Ghost within you. Because can I just be plain and simple tonight? Can I say that as Christians, more often than not, we mistreat the Holy Ghost? Is that right or is that right? More often than not, we mistreat the Holy Ghost. What a precious thing it is to have the Holy Ghost of God living within us. Do you realize that is literally God indwelling in us? You know, that's our hope of glory. I know the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. But can I tell you that Christ as a person is not inside of us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, I don't just mean the attitude of Christ. I don't just mean the emphasis of Christ. I mean the Spirit of Christ lives within us. That's tremendous. That's the, uh, that is the Spirit of God. Literally a bit of God within us. Now, I'm not talking about any kind of inner light like the Amish teach. I'm not talking about an intrinsic and inherent good that needs to be fostered and developed within the human heart. The Bible teaches very uh, clearly uh, that we were all lost and undone without Christ. I'm saying when you got born again, God took up residence in your heart and in your life through the person of the Holy Ghost. That's precious. That's a precious thing. But can I tell you, and I want you to notice a third thing. I'm not even into the message, so don't get excited. Can I tell you a third thing? The Holy Ghost is not only personal, He's not only precious, but He's provoking. He serves a purpose in our hearts and lives. He's to provoke us in the service of God. Now, we think about that word provoke, and it always has a negative connotation. You know why? Because we don't like to be provoked. Provoking is pushing us out of our comfort zone. Provoking is pushing us out of our, our desired habitation. In fact, if I was to come to someone, if I was to provoke them, that starts to make them uncomfortable. Do you know we need to be made uncomfortable sometimes? Amen. Do you know when we're living in sin, we need to be made uncomfortable? Amen. Do you know that when we grow lazy and apathetic in our Christian walk, we need to be made uncomfortable? Amen. Do you know when lost sinners dying and going to hell don't even bother us? We need to be made uncomfortable. And the Holy Ghost of God, He's there to provoke us. Look at what it says in John 16. The Bible says He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now that speaks of the greater work of the Holy Spirit of God in this world. But suffice it to say that in our personal lives when we sin, He reproves us. We're made aware of the judgment of God by the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you what makes you aware when you've sinned that it's sin. It's not conscience. I'll tell you what conscience makes us aware of. Conscience makes us aware that we've done something that is socially and culturally taboo and unacceptable. Conscience is something that's universal to humanity. Let me give you a little bit of theology. The general revelation of God presents to us the idea that there is a God and He's in heaven, He's a personal God, and He cares about man. And we see that in history. You can see the hand of God. We see it in creation and in nature. It's evident that there's a God that is deeply involved and concerned with this world. But conscience is one of the areas where we're made aware that there is a God in heaven. And every single human being, he may want to say that he doesn't believe in God. He may say there is no God, but you get right down to it. And there's certain things that dictate the way he lives that he didn't get from mama and daddy, that he didn't get from the school system. Why is it that murder is wrong all across the world? You ever notice that? You ever notice that there are certain things that are just wrong? across. That's called conscience. But let me say that conscience does not teach us to be spiritual. 
Conscience does not show us our need of Christ. Conscience, hey, listen, the, the law is our schoolmaster bringing us uh, under God, you know, or bringing us under Christ. Do you know why that is? Because conscience could not even show us the way to God, let alone show us God. The truth of the matter is this, it's the Holy Spirit of God that convicted you and showed you you were a lost sinner. It's the Holy Spirit of God as a believer that convicts you when you've sinned and done wrong. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God is the power source. He's the lifeline. He's the connection to heaven. He's the means of conversation with God. He's the means of relationship with Christ. I'm trying to say the Holy Ghost is important in our lives. And yet, it seems as though people speak of Him not as a He, but as an It. Just almost like a commodity we barter with. We pray for the power and presence of God. Who do you think that power and presence is? That's not God the Father leaving His throne in heaven and coming down and dwelling amongst us. That's not Christ leaving His seat at the right hand of the Father where He ever liveth to make intercession for us and coming down to heaven. When the power of God moves in a place and sinners begin to get saved and saints begin to get convicted and God begins to do a mighty work, you know what that is? That's the Holy Ghost doing that. That's Him. That's not it, that's, that's Him doing that. And so we have three things in this passage that tell us about the Holy Ghost, that He's personal, that He's precious, that He's provoking. But I want us to look at three passages of Scripture tonight, and I'm going to try to keep my promise to Melissa, amen? <laughs> Turn with me to Acts chapter number 7 tonight, Acts chapter number 7. And there's three actions and three sins that we commit against the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not speaking of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That's another discussion that we could have, another conversation. But I mean for the believer, there's three sins that most of us commit on a fairly regular basis in some manner, in some way, shape, form, or fashion that I believe are affecting our daily walks with the Lord. In Acts chapter number 7, and by the way, this is going to upset the Calvinists because this blows one of the, the petals off of the tulip, amen? Look at what Peter said, or Peter, excuse me. Look at what Stephen says in Acts chapter number 7. Look with me at verse number 51. The Bible says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, and that's Christ, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Let me say first off that many of us are guilty of resisting the Holy Ghost through stubbornness. We see it all the time, neighbor. Uh, and and listen, I, I, I'm not here to pad an invitation. I'm not here to, to, to try to get all in the middle of your relationship with God. But I'm just saying this. We see all the time when God moves upon a person's heart, convicts them of something in their heart and life, and they make aware of that. They slip in. Yes, the Lord dealt with me. And then there's an opportunity to do business with God. And you know what they do? They step back. They stiffen up. And they resist the wooing power. Of the Holy Ghost of God. As Stephen is talking to these Pharisees, and they're getting ready to kill Stephen. They're getting ready to stone him to death. He's the, he's the first martyr of the New Testament church. Christ was not a martyr. You hear me? Christ was the Son of God dying a substitutionary death for you and me. Christ was not a martyr. Stephen was the first martyr of the New Testament church. 
And they're getting ready to rush upon them and gnash on them with their teeth and carry them out of town and take their coats off and laying them in the arms of a man named Saul of Tarsus and take up rocks and begin to rock and stone him to death. That's what they're beginning to do. But before they do, Stephen makes this pronouncement that they are guilty of resisting the Holy Ghost. Now, we know what that word resist means. We know what that word means. It means to pull against, to fight against, to push against. It means when God begins to show us something, we begin to argue. I've said this before. Uh, nothing makes a, 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 a liar out of a Baptist quicker than an altar call. You know why that is? Because God has spent 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes, 45, 50 minutes. Y'all getting nervous now, aren't you? 30 minutes, we'll say that so you'll be okay. Convicting the heart of the believer. And you know what we do through the whole service, most of us? Yeah, Lord, you're right. You're right, Lord. You're right, Lord. I'm not praying enough. I'm not witnessing enough. I've not, I've not picked that Bible up all week. Lord, you're right. You're right. I have no burden for souls. You're right. I've not been in church. Lord, you're right about these things. And then the altar call time comes and we say, Lord, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm fine right where I'm at, God. I'll pray to you here. You know what we're doing? We're resisting. We're pushing God back. We're pushing Him away and trying to do everything we can to keep ourselves from giving in to the power of God and His convicting, wooing presence. I want you to notice what Stephen says more carefully. He says, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of, your pro which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Can I say that when we vilify, please take me out of the equation. I don't even want to be in the equation. You vilify me as much as you want, okay? But you know, when we begin to identify the message with the man and vindicate our, our lack of obedience to the Word of God by the truth of the failure of the man preaching it, when we begin to persecute that man, let me put it this way. I had someone tell me one time, as long as you're criticizing the Word of God, you're not convicted by it. And you know what we do sometimes? We allow the flaws and failures of the person presenting the message to make the Word of God of none effect in our hearts and lives. That's resisting the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let me tell you something. I, I believe you ought to have confidence in your pastor. And I, I believe you ought to love him or at least like him or at least be able to tolerate him. Somebody say amen. But can I tell you that the man preaching the message has nothing to do with the message that's being given. If, if, if God can use a donkey. Amen. If God can use a donkey, and it doesn't even matter what, if God can use a backslidden prophet of God that spent a few days in a whale's belly, then I believe it's more about the message than it is about the man. And you know what we want to do sometimes? We want to say, well, I don't believe in all that, that hero man worship. I don't believe in all, I mean, hey, I don't believe you ought to put them up on a pedestal. We like the way that sounds until the preaching starts. Then you know what we want to do? Then all of a sudden it's about the integrity of the man behind the pulpit. Right? When, when, we, when we should follow Him because of His integrity, we don't want to do it. We find every flaw and every problem that we can find in it. Can I tell you that that's resisting the Holy Ghost? That's finding a, an opportunity, a reason to not hear the preaching of the Word of God. I want you to notice the second thing that they did. Look a little further on in the passage. It says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Now notice what he says here. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Now, I understand the immediate historical context. And I understand literally these men had been the betrayers and the murderers. I understand that. 
But we might say this, when we resist the Holy Ghost of God, we're trampling underfoot the message of God's Word. And it's almost as though we're putting Him on the cross again. It's almost as though we're betraying Him again. It's almost as though our sin's putting Him up there again. It almost makes us murderers when we resist the Holy Ghost of God. You say, preacher, why is that? Because it took that death to purchase the Holy Ghost of God. And when we look at the Holy Ghost of God and say, I don't want anything to do with your wooing power in my heart and life. It's like we're trampling underfoot the death of Christ. I want you to notice the third thing. We see this a lot. Look at the very last statement that he makes. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Can I say... That the opportunity of resisting the Holy Ghost of God is not only, not only in front of you in the church house, but when you leave these double doors, you have a responsibility to keep the commitments that you've made to God and to be obedient to His Word. We think sometimes if we go to an altar, well, Lord, I've not resisted you. And that might be true. If you go to an altar, and I, and I don't believe the only place you can do business with God is an altar. Please don't think that. I, my, my feeling about it is this. If, if you're sitting there trying to argue and tell God why you shouldn't have to go to an altar, you probably need to go to the altar. Amen? And my feeling about it is this. If you don't have liberty to go to an altar, that's the last place that I want you to be. So don't make, don't make submission to the Holy Ghost and being at an altar synonymous. Because there's a lot of people that go to an altar... But they're not really submitted to the Holy Ghost. They're still resisting. So please don't misunderstand me on that. I'm merely saying this. You can weep and cry big old crocodile tears and you can come to an altar and you can wave the white flag and give it all to God and on, on, on. But if you walk out those doors and live the same way that you did before you did business with God, that's still resisting the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not just concerned with what goes on here or out here. The Holy Ghost is concerned with your everyday walk. What does it say? They've received the word of God. Dis, disp, uh, disposition, dispensation. I'll make a word up. It'll fit in there. Of angels. But it said they've not kept it. They had heard the word of God. I mean, they had heard the prophets. They had heard the truth of the, the, the coming Messiah. But you know what happened? It went in one ear, out the other. You know the only kind of people that happens to? People that ain't got no brain. Somebody say amen. That's why it can do that. It goes in one ear, it goes out the other. I don't think, I don't think teenagers develop brains until they're about 25 years old. Somebody say amen. She's whispering because she ain't 25 yet. Amen. <clears throat> I'm concerned about you. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we can, we can cry all the tears. We can make all the commitments. We can puff everybody up. We can stroke everybody's ego. We can make everybody in this church house feel like we're on good terms with God. But if our lives don't change as a result of the business that we've done with God, it's just as hypocritical and straight out of hell as if we were to stand there and shake our fist at God and curse His name. We've got to understand what resisting the Holy Ghost is. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. I want to give you a second thing very quickly. Look with me once you turn there at verse number 25. The Bible says to us, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. 
but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let me say the first sin that we commit against the Holy Spirit of God is in resisting Him through stubbornness. But let me say that the second sin that we commit against the Holy Ghost of God is by grieving Him through our sinfulness. Now, those are two different words. Don't don't synonymize your words in your Bible just because they sound pretty and you don't want to take the time to learn what they mean. Amen? Grieving and resisting are two different things. Resisting is pushing against the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. But grieving means that you're hurting Him. We might say it this way, my children grieve me, or my grandchildren grieve me, or a loved one out in sin grieves me, or, or, or that, that little child that I led to the Lord that is out in sin, it grieves me, it hurts me, it puts a weight upon me, and it bothers me. And Paul gives this exhortation, he says, you need to be careful about the way you live, because your actions can offend the Holy Spirit and can grieve Him. Can I say, this? man, this ought to be so basic. I mean, it ought to be so simple. But there's not enough pulpits saying this today. Your sin offends God. Your sin offends a holy God. I mean, if I was to walk up to some, if I, if I, was, to, if I was to walk up to Ralph and say, Ralph, you're just the low-down, ugliest, dirtiest. I mean, I hate you with every fiber of my being, and I can't stand you. That probably upsets you a little bit. I don't, I don't feel that way about you. I think you're an attractive man, Ralph. I do. That doesn't bother. I'm okay saying that. Everybody all right? I don't feel that way about Ralph. But that hurt him. That would offend him. And it'd be a little bit silly if I then turned around. And said, now, Ralph, would you walk with me? Ralph, would you would you tell me what I need to do in my... Ralph, uh, you know, we're on good terms, ain't we? You know what would be even more offensive? Get ready now. If somebody came to me and said, what do you think about Ralph? And I said, oh, I love Ralph. Come on. Is Ralph your friend? Oh, yeah, Ralph's my friend. And I just got through talking about him that way. Boy, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be just just disgusting? Wouldn't that be so hypocritical? And you know what? If you knew about it, you know what you'd say? You'd say you hypocrite. You'll talk like this, like that to his face. But then you get around other people. You you try to pretend you're okay with him. Let me tell you what we do. We live and we sin and we commit every sin that we wish to and want to, and we offend the Holy Ghost of God. And then you know what we do? We come into a church house, and the preaching gets on, and we say, Praise the Lord! Like we're okay with Him. And we come into a church house, let's have an altar of prayer, and pray for the power of God in our service. And we get down in the altar, and we weep, and we pray, Oh, God, be with us! And our sin is a stench in His nostrils. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God in the things that we do. I want to give you three things very quickly. I want to say that our sin grieves the Holy Spirit because it hurts the saint. Look again at verse number 25. Look carefully at what it says. Notice the emphasis that is found here. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members of one body. I think the emphasis that the Holy Ghost... I believe that Bible's inspired by the Holy Ghost. you know that? I do. And so I, I believe we can see the intentions and emphasis and motive of God in the way that it's written. I still believe that. And we see an emphasis here. In the midst of all these other verses, we see that, that Paul writes under the inspiration and power of the Holy Ghost. And he says, you don't need to lie to your neighbor because we're members of one body. And the way that you act affects those around you. I believe it grieves the Holy Ghost when we sin because of the way it hurts other saints. No man's an island unto himself. Your sin affects those around you. And let me tell you something. What the Holy Ghost is trying to do in your heart and life, He's also trying to do in the heart and lives of others. And wouldn't it be sad if one day we got to heaven and uh, met Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and He said, you know, I was trying to work in the life of that believer, but because of your sin, there was a stumbling block in front of Him. He never grew close to me like He could have. I was trying to work in the life of that young lady but because she saw the way that you acted and dressed, she wouldn't listen to me. I, I was trying to work in the life of that young couple and show them what it means to give in faith. But they saw the way that you give and they felt like it was alright to not give in grace and in faith. I, you know, I was trying to teach this, this person how to be kind. Boy, we need to learn how to be kind today. How to be kind to this person. And how to be nice to them and show the love of Christ to them. But that day that you blew up at them, that showed them that's how a Christian's supposed to act. I believe it grieves God because it, it hurts the saints. But I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit of God because it helps Satan. Give no place to the devil. Boy, isn't it? You know what we think? How many of y'all, you watch stuff about the Boston bombing? You know the most sickening thing about what took place? Is that those people came over here, radical Muslims, you hear me? And by the way, you know what radical Muslim is? It's a good Muslim. Right? People say, and I hear it all the time, well, moderate Islam needs to take back over the Islamic religion. You know why they're never going to do that? Because moderate Islams are poor Islams, poor Muslims. If they follow the Koran, they're brutal and bloodthirsty and violent pagans. That's what the that's what the Bible would call them. But you know what bothers you? Those people came over under diplomatic asylum, under a refugees asylum. They came over, and you know what they did? They lived off your money and my money. Isn't that right? They came over, and they went to a better college than most of your kids will ever go to. Right? They They came over, and they lived off your money and my money. We paid for those people to be here. We allowed our enemy to be harbored in our country. We gave place to our enemy. And you know what he did? Both of them, they turned around and they murdered innocent American citizens. And by the way, because of our government, they'll probably get away with it too. Don't that make you sick? Don't that turn your stomach? How do you think the Holy Ghost of God feels when we give place to our enemy? I think the Holy Ghost of God feels when we know something's going to be a temptation to us, but we still allow it in our house. How do you think the Holy? How do you think God feels when you allow that trash in your home around those little babies, and you're trying to raise them for the glory of God? You're giving place to the devil. It ain't no wonder it grieves him. Let me say that our sin grieves the Holy Ghost because it hurts the saint and helps Satan. But I believe it grieves him because it hinders the sinner.
Look at what it says about communication and uh, evil communication. Look down there at verse number 28. The Bible says, uh, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, notice this, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, I understand there's an application of this within the local church. And I understand that we minister grace to those that are hearing. But can I say that the lost need to have grace ministered to them too? They need to have the grace of God shown to them. Let me say that our sin offends the Holy Ghost because it hinders the sinner coming to know Christ. The Holy Ghost of God, the only function that the Holy Ghost has in the heart and life of the sinner, the only one, is convicting them of their lost and sinful state that it may draw them unto Christ. It's the only function. The Holy Ghost of God does not empower lost people. He does not indwell lost people. He does not encourage lost people. He does not comfort lost people. They are alienated from God. They are of their father, the devil. They've never been born again, and the Spirit of God does not live within them. The only thing that the Holy Ghost has to do with a lost man is to show him the blackened, charred walls of his heart and his need of Calvary. And you know what our sin does? It puts a stumbling block for the sinner coming to know Christ. Because they look at your life and they look at my life when we sin and they go, well, how's about that? If that's what a Christian is, I already are one. <laughs> I already is one. If that's what a Christian is, I don't need Christ. I'm living like that now. They're no different than me. It turns people away from Christ. It's been said before, you've heard it before, Mahatma Gandhi always said, I like your, your Christ, I don't like your Christians, and I probably would have been a Christian if I had never met one. And the sad truth of it is, many of us are the very stumbling block in the way of a lost sinner coming to know Christ because of the way we live and because of the sin in our lives, and that offends the Holy Ghost. I'll give you a third thing, I'm going to hush. You're fading, I can tell. <laughs> Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to try not to dwell on this long, but I want to show you a third thing. I, I believe we resist the Holy Ghost through stubbornness. I believe we grieve the Holy Ghost through sinfulness. But look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. I believe we sin against the Holy Ghost by resisting Him through stubbornness. I believe we quench, or that, that we sin against the Holy Ghost by grieving Him through sinfulness. But I believe we quench Him uh, through silence. That's two different words, grieving and quenching. Grieve means to offend, to upset, to hurt. But quenching, we know what that means. We know that means to extinguish something. Now, the the apostle is not trying to teach us that we can extinguish the presence of the Holy Ghost from our life, but merely the power of the Holy Ghost from our life. Not that He will ever cease to indwell us, but that the influence that He can have in our lives can be greatly, greatly limited because of the way that we live. Let me tell you something. I, and, and, and I grew up, and, and I don't know who all hear this. I know it's recorded, and I, I really don't care it's the truth. 
I, I grew up in a good Bible-believing church. But I grew up in a church where the Holy Ghost of God was quenched on a pretty regular basis. I grew up in a church that had Bible-believing uh, a pastor and Bible-preaching, one of the most brilliant pastors that's ever lived. But it was a place where the Holy Ghost of God many times was not welcome. I don't always lay that at His feet. But it was a place where many times the Holy Ghost was not welcome to move amongst people. Let me tell you why. Because we've downplayed the work of the Holy Ghost in our churches. We've let the charismatics scare us from promoting the power of the Holy Ghost. And you say, we're not supposed to promote Him. No, I know He'll promote Christ, but we ought not be scared of Him. Amen? Amen. We ought not be scared of Him. Don't you notice three things about our life many times that can, that can quench the Holy Spirit? I believe a praiseless life quenches the Holy Ghost. What did Paul just say? Rejoice evermore. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And let me tell you something. I believe when we refuse to praise God, I believe it quenches the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives. The psalmist said that He inhabiteth the praise of His people of Israel. So in other words, when we praise God and are generous with praise, some people only praise God if they have to. Some people, God has to really rattle their cage and shiver their timbers before they'll ever raise a hand and say, Boy, the Lord's been good to me. Nobody's talking about wildfire. Nobody's talking about tongues. Nobody's talking about charismatic. I'm simply talking about being willing to raise a hand and say, Boy, God's been good to me in my life. God's took care of me and He's saved me and He's watched over me. He's kept my babies healthy. He's kept a home uh, for me and a roof over my head and food on my table. And we ought to rejoice in that. And I believe it quenches the Holy Ghost when we refuse to do it. And there's a lot of churches that their main problem is they've got so stinking respectable, somebody say amen, that they've lost their spirituality. And if it don't fit in with their program, you say, you want them program churches? Hey, I believe we ought to follow God's program. I'm not against it. I, I'm not, I mean, we got bulletins and hey, if you know what you're going to preach, tell people what you're going to preach. Awful brave. The Lord's changed, uh, you know, uh, called an audible on me too many times for me to try to do it. Half the time between the sound room and the pulpit, it changes. But let me say that when we refuse to give God the praise and glory that's due His name, why do you think God does what He does in our lives? I know God loves us, but let me tell you something. There's one reason that God does what He does in our life, that we not be found unto His praise and honor and glory. That's what the book of Ephesians teaches us. That's why. It's not about you, it's about Him. <laughs> I know that's hard. I, I know that society has taught us the opposite, that it's all about us. But it's not about you, it's about Him that we be under His praise and honor and glory. So, don't you think it'd hinder Him working when we wouldn't praise Him and honor Him and glorify Him when He works in our heart and lives? I believe that a praiseless life many times quenches the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the second thing. I believe a prayerless life quenches the Holy Spirit. Pray without ceasing. Most people that do not praise do not pray. Let me tell you why that is. Because when we do not pray then we attribute the goodness of God in our life to mere fortune and chance and not to God's direct providential answering of our prayers. I mean, if you, if you never pray and ask God to do anything, you're never going to praise Him when He does anything. And so when we do not pray... And by the way, do you know that's one of the most important functions of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer is making intercession for us? That's what the book of Romans teaches or to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It's what the book of Philippians teaches us. The fact of the matter is, when we don't pray, the Holy Ghost is quenched in our life. Listen, it's not that He quits indwelling you, but we cry and plead and moan for the presence of God. 
And if we don't do these things, it's no wonder God doesn't work in our lives in a greater way. I'll give you a final thing. Verse 20 says, despise not prophesyings. Let me say that a preachingless life hinders the work of the Holy Ghost and quenches the Holy Ghost in our hearts and lives. When we refuse, and, and, and again, you take me out of the element. You, you get, get it however you want to, okay? <laughs> but let me say that when we're not under the Word of God, we rob the Spirit of His sword. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith does not come by fellowship. Fellowship's good. Fellowship's wonderful. But faith does not come by fellowship. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by singing. Boy, I love gospel singing. I love it. But faith doesn't come by singing. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why preaching is the preeminent thing in the New Testament church. I didn't say this church. I mean, it is in this church and ought to be in this church, but I mean in the New Testament church. You go, you look in the New Testament church and preaching was the preeminent thing that took place. Why? Because it's the means for the Holy Ghost to move in our hearts and lives. The fact of the matter is, until we're willing to submit ourselves to the Word of God, not, not submit ourselves to a person, not submit ourselves to a denomination. God help us, we got enough denominations, don't we? But I say until you're willing to submit yourself to the Holy Ghost and to the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God, until you get to the place where you don't despise the preaching of the Word of God, the Holy Ghost of God's never going to have any real influence in your life. Oh, here and there you may do something and He may nudge you and say, you know that's sin, right? And you may say, yeah, that's sin. But true submissive leading of the Holy Ghost in your life will never take place. Until you cease to quench him. I believe we're all guilty of some of these sins. I believe we're all guilty of all of them in one way or the other. But I want to ask you to do something tonight. I want you to mind the Lord. That's all I want. And for the invitation, I'm not going to ask you a bunch of questions. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pump you up or pep you up. And there's plenty of times we do ask questions. The only question I'll ask will be concerning salvation. I don't want to ask any other question tonight. I want you to have liberty to respond to the Holy Ghost. God in heaven knows what your need is. And I just beg you tonight to be obedient to the Lord.